All right, friends, good morning. Um, let's go and get started um, with Sunday School today. Um, let's begin. Our um, call to worship comes from Psalm 93 today, so let's pray that psalm together as we start. Um, and also just an announcement. Um, Jacqueline Munzert is in labor this morning, and so that's really exciting. Um, um, so we'll pray um, for her and for Anthony and their family. Um, their boys are here this morning with us, um, which is great. Um, and Jacqueline and Anthony are um, back at home, and um, we'll pray the Lord will be with them. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. The seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice, the seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Your statutes stand firm. Heavenly Father, indeed, holiness adorns your house for endless days, and we are grateful, Father, for your eternal nature, the way in which you do not um, change, you do not grow old um, as we do, Father, and we're grateful for the, the way in which um, all of those things provide for us a refuge and a strength in the midst um, of a world that feels out of control um, so often. Father, this morning we pray um, particularly um, for Jacqueline Munzert and for Anthony. We pray um, that your spirit would abide with Jacqueline this morning um, as she um, is in labor. Um, and, and we pray we'll deliver um, their baby today, um, even very soon. We pray, Father, for your hand upon these uh, matters. We pray that you would keep Jacqueline safe and protect her life. We pray um, for the child as well in a similar way, that you would keep him or her um, entirely safe and protected and um, bring this little child into the world um, that we might rejoice together um, over its birth. And Father, we pray also for our worship this morning, and we ask that you would attend to our worship with your spirit, um, that it would be enlivened by your presence. And we ask also that you be with us this morning um, as we discuss um, various matters in Sunday school. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, I've got um, a handout. If I can get a couple guys, maybe Jeremy, will you help? That'd be fine. I'll Jeremy pass this out. Um, so as Jeremy's passing that out, before we jump into new stuff this morning, any um, things to talk about from last week? Um, last week in Sunday school, we discussed um, identity. Um, and then in the sermon, we talked about um, marriage. Um, and sexual holiness. Any comments or questions from any of that before we get into new stuff today? Okay. Well, let's jump in. Oh, Donovan. Yes, sir. So many people on earth are wanting to change their pronouns. Uh huh. Someone wanting to change their pronoun from he, him, whatever, him, whatever. 
So Donovan's asking, what do we do about pronouns and, and um, people who desire to be addressed by particular pronouns that may not, I assume you're saying, may not match their, their sex um, that was given at birth? Um, that is a complicated question, my friend. Um, <laughs> it is certainly something that increasingly is um, present in our culture, and I think it actually ties in well with the discussion we're having this morning, um, which is um, about language. Um, and as we'll talk about in a moment, the committee is arguing for um, wisdom as a kind of controlling uh, motif for how we think about how people use language in the church um, regarding um, sexual orientation. Um, and I, I would say that this whole dynamic, I would certainly say that if, if you know, I had a parishioner who um, was desiring to um, use pronouns that were other than um, assigned sex at birth, then that's a conversation, obviously, that I would really want to lean into and have with them. I would have a lot of concern about that and um, the way that that would seem to be a rejection of um, God's providential um, action in their life. Um, and um, so that would be one situation. Another situation, which is maybe what you're describing, is what if you have a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or someone like that outside the church potentially who's requesting that you be that you use um, other pronouns for them. And I think I honestly think that's a wisdom call, Donovan. I don't know that the scripture um, gives us a hard and fast kind of. Um, uh, you know, approach to that situation. Um, I think we have to be attentive to the ninth commandment, um, which talks about um, speaking the truth. And I think there's a sense in which, you know, this person is deceived about who they truly are, very likely. Um, and, you know, does participating in that using pronouns that are different than their sex, um, you know, participate in violating the ninth commandment. I think you have to, I would, I would wrestle with that if I was in that situation. Um, I think I would also wrestle with what does it mean to um, be kind to this person and to, um, to say on some level the pronoun thing is a symptom of a deeper issue and it's the deeper issue that I would be more concerned about generally, you know. And so, and, and you're also, you know, some folks are going to be in situations where they're in a workplace um, where if they're going to keep their job, they have to, you know, use pronouns um, in those kinds of ways. And I would say, yeah, that requires, I, I don't know that this is an issue, just off the top of my head, that I would encourage someone to, like, lose their job over, their livelihood. Um, I think there are places where you draw the line in the sand. I'm not sure this is one of them. But it's a, it's a, it's a, issue, it's a wisdom issue. Um, I don't think the scripture gives us a, you know, a, a direct, um, and, and there would be some, so I guess what I'm saying is I think there would be some situations where you would not um, participate in that, and you would say, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But then there would be other situations where it, it might be wise um, for you to do so. So I, that's kind of how I would answer. I think it's kind of a case-by-case -case situation. No, Gabe had a hand up. Right. Yes. Right. There you go. Yeah, and that's that's being shrewd as a serpent, as as our Lord says. 
Right, right. Yeah, you just avoid the pronouns altogether. No, I, I understand that, and that's right. And there, and there, that teaching from Jesus is a part of how we, I think, we need to think through this. To be innocent as doves, to be shrewd as serpents. Um, there is a element of that as we engage. And the reality is that we're we're having this discussion because we are in a culture that is increasingly um, post-Christian. It's not Christian any longer. And so the question becomes, you know, the kinds of things that we see the apostles wrestling with the New Testament. Um, you know, what do you do about food that's sacrificed to idols and then sold in the marketplace? You know, is that um, a line in the sand or not? And, and Paul essentially says, well, it really depends on your own conscience. And, you know, there, there's actually nothing inherently sinful in eating that meat because idols, um, you know, aren't, aren't real. You know, they're not real things. Um, but, but if someone is, you know, convicted by that, then you need to be... Um, um, appropriately respond to that as well, take that into account. So there, there, I, that's, for my money, that's in general where this discussion lies. It's a, it's a wisdom issue. There can be contexts where it makes sense um, in order to, to love well, in order to be faithful in the situation where God calls you. But there might be other places where, you know, you know is, if this is your... I mean, it just becomes really complicated, right? This is someone in your family, um, you know. Um, this is a child. This is a sibling. You know, what do you do in those situations? I mean, it, I think it just varies. It's complicated. Um, Jeremy, did you have something? Yeah, I, and I get that. I mean, that's y'all that are in those kind of secular workplaces, I think, need a lot of wisdom. Um, I'm grateful on, to some level that I don't have to, you know, be as concerned about those things. But but those of you who are in those places, um, um, yeah, it, we need wisdom. We need to talk about these things. And I would, if y'all find yourselves in situations where you're in an ethical quandary, you know, feel free to give me a call, let's talk through it. I do think that there is a sense in which the scenarios vary um, and they're different. And then there might be situations where you would say, no, I can't do that. And there'd be other situations where you wouldn't make a big deal out of it. Any other thoughts or questions? Yes, sir. Well, what am I talking about that way? How do you show respect for that? Sure. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's a key part of it. What does it actually mean to love this person? And I think there are times when loving this person says, okay, this is, this is a symptom of a deeper issue, and I'm not going to quarrel at this point about the symptom. I'm going to be more concerned about the deeper issue. And, um, but there, I think there also are times where you say, I'm, I'm not going to participate in this person's self-deception, and it's best for me not to do that. And I, but I think either way, you're trying to... Um, 
you, you have concern. I mean, you're acting out of love of neighbor in either way, but it, I think it requires wisdom to apply which is which um, in different scenarios. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I think that's I think that's the tension. Yeah, Mike. My views on this have been changing, which would actually probably just shock my wife, but because typically, you know, I would say in the discussion of is this a hill to die? Yes. I think we have to be careful if we keep seeding ground. Sure. Yeah. In this pronoun nonsense, because if we, as church, refuse to get involved and always go along to get along on that issue, pretty soon we're going to lose that completely, and then it's the next thing. It is the next thing that we get a hill to die on. Because, like, if you look in Canada right now, you can be arrested and charged with a hate crime if you purposely call someone by a pronoun they don't like. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I get that too, Mike. And I think you're talking about, um, I mean, those are very valid concerns. Yeah. And, and there's no question that language matters and the way that we use language is important. Um, and yeah, and it, this is a, I mean, on some level, I guess I have a hope that, it, you know, our culture is going to sort of figure out how crazy this is. Um, and everybody's just going to kind of wake up one day and be like, what, what are we doing? You know? Um, and I, I think there's the possibility of that, that, that the, uh, this whole movement can't, there's so little coherence to it in terms of logic, um, that it may just eventually sort of collapse in different ways. Um, but I understand what you're saying. And I, I certainly respect that perspective. Um, I, just, I think you just have to have some flexibility because, like, there are contexts in which, like, someone, a Christian in a counseling scenario, like, might be with a person who, I mean, these are very extreme cases, and I understand that, like, you can, people might not always present the situation to be what it is, but there are people who may suicidal thoughts that are like triggered by people using the wrong pronouns like there are um, I don't know there are like you said lots of different there are lots of factors scenarios. yeah absolutely yeah and, and a lot of it depends on your as Jeremy I think mentioned your level of responsibility towards the person and your relationship to them and, and um, yeah so I, th I think all of that matters a lot and I mean, there's no question. These are scenarios that require great wisdom. And I, and I genuinely believe that there will be times that there's no one-size-fits-all answer to this question. Um, that there are scenarios where the line-in-the-sand approach um, is appropriate and is actually more loving for the person. And there are times when I think you choose a different battle to fight. Or you do, as Gabe mentioned, and you just avoid, you know, do your best to just avoid the matter altogether. Um, yeah, Kim. I think 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. 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 No, that's true. Yeah, how you deal with this publicly versus how you deal with this in a context of an individual relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think it's very important, too, in the church um, itself, how we talk about this and think about this. And so you need to hear me publicly say um, that it, it's foolishness. It's, it's, un, you know, it's an abusive language, to, and language matters um, to, um, to demand that you be called by a, a, a pronoun other than the one that's appropriate for your, um, for your sex. Um, but I think, so you need to hear me say that, and I'm happy to say that publicly, um, that this is, a, a, this is foolishness. Um, but yeah, I think there are situations where we have to be wise as serpents and as, as uh, innocent as doves as we interact with people, especially out in the world. Um, we have to negotiate a lot of things. And I, I don't have any, and part, like, I don't have any doubt that Daniel had to negotiate a lot of things in the courts of Babylon. And, um, and obviously there are some places where he drew a line in the sand. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't stop praying to God when he knew that um, he was going to be uh, prosecuted for that. Um, but I'm, I don't doubt that there are places where he did not, you know, he put up with stuff that was um, sinful or wrong. One more and then we'll, I don't want to totally lose our morning in terms of what we plan to do. Yes, Jeremy. Sure. Yeah, I think, I think we I understand what you're saying. I think the bottom line here is that we need all of us to, um, to pray for wisdom. The Lord will grant us wisdom. We're in uncharted waters with discussions like this. We've been hard to imagine a discussion like this even 10 years ago. Um, and yet here we are. And we don't know what the next five years will bring. You know, what are we going to talk about in five years? We have to negotiate and figure out. Um, the Lord, um, Lord grant us wisdom and Lord grant us grace, as we talked about last week in the sermon. Um, ultimately, um, the fidelity and holiness of the church um, sexually um, will, we believe, um, leaven the whole loaf. And that's, that's ultimately where these issues need to start is what does it look like for us to pursue repentance as the church? What does it look like for us to have holy marriages? Um, and trust that those things are going to, they really are going to influence the world. Um, they really will. All right, let me, um, let me move into the topic for today. Um, so statement number 10, which is on the back of your handout, um, makes this initial statement. It says, we affirm that those in our churches would be wise to avoid the term gay Christian, quote, gay Christian. 
Um, and that use of the word wise, I think, is really important um, because what they're saying is that this discussion, and in some ways this applies, I think, to what we just talked about, um, this discussion about language that we use to describe sexual orientation or whether we use orientation language at all. As I mentioned last week, I kind of questioned the whole project, um, heterosexual or homosexual either. Um, falls, in the committee's view, under the category of wisdom um, rather than law. And that's an important distinction. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about wisdom um, as a biblical category. Um, so Jack Collins, my, um, so I'm back on the front page now, uh, who was an Old Testament, Old Testament professor of mine in seminary, he drilled this into us um, as he taught um, us the Psalms and wisdom literature. He says, wisdom is, is the skill, is skill in the art of godly living, um, or wisdom is the skill of the art of godly living. Um, and I, I like that um, definition um, because it, it talks about wisdom as sort of a, a learned thing, a thing that you, you develop over time. Um, and it, it's an art, it's not a science, um, it's not necessarily something where in um, you know, there's a, 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 a always a clear answer to what um, you need to do. Um, but it's godly living. It's not as though this is just sort of, you know, we, we don't want to say wisdom is just, well, you just, it's all situational ethics, you know, and you just kind of figure it out as you go um, based on how you feel or what the situation is. Um, you know, wisdom does have to have a sort of grounding in the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God. Um, the principles that are given to us in the Ten Commandments um, or the two great commandments. Um, but it is a skill. It's something that you develop. Um, you can be less wise or more wise. And, of course, your, your goal is to grow in wisdom and to increase in wisdom. Um, John Frame, who's one of my go-to theologians, um, still living today, he says, wisdom is a form of knowledge that penetrates to the deeper significance of things and therefore enables us to apply that knowledge to practical situations. Um, and I think that's an interesting definition to think about. Um, it's a form of knowledge that penetrates to the heart, right, to the deeper significance of things that can kind of anticipate outcomes that might come from one path or another um, and, and, and considers those things, thinks deeply about those things. Um, and therefore enables us to apply the knowledge that you have to practical situations. Um, so um, you can, you know, it, it requires that sort of anticipation, um, that sort of um, understanding the, the heart or the deeper issues that are not on the surface necessarily, and then applying the knowledge that you have um, to that situation um, in a practical, um, in a situation where something is, is on the table. There's some uh, thing that you have to work through. Specifically, he says, wisdom is the ability to do the right thing in difficult situations, especially to say the right thing. Um, and he has some scripture verses there. And um, I think our Lord Jesus is a fascinating example of wisdom. Of course, he is the wisdom of God. Um, and, you know, reading the Gospels is, is a way to just grow in wisdom um, because if you immerse yourself in the person of Christ and you really think deeply and wrestle with the ways that he responds to different people, um, 
And Jesus did this, right? He didn't have a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to people who came to him. Um, There's some that he dealt with with great gentleness and um, concern and care and deference. Um, And certainly, you know, there are people who came to him, you know, he didn't necessarily address all the sin in their life all at once, right? Um, He might have just talked about one thing, um, the heart of the matter, so to speak. Um, But then there are other people um, that he he interacted with in a, I mean, I don't think it was harsh in, the, in a sinful sense, but a very direct, blunt, um, straightforward, um, you know, he, he rebuked people. He currently had no problem rebuking people. You know, if, if you just, if you think that Jesus was just sort of this like gentle guru of spiritual wisdom, right, you're not uh, reading the Gospels very closely because he had no problem um, calling people out and um, even condemning them. Um, and but that, I think that's a fascinating picture. You know, the Lord Jesus gives us a picture of the wisdom of God. Um, and certainly he always made the right decision, so to speak, in terms of when to, when to speak, what to, when to act, what to say. And what we want is that kind of wisdom. We want to have the wisdom to know uh, when um, it's right to be gentle, when it's right to be blunt. Um, and, uh, and that requires wisdom. God communicates wisdom to us by his word and spirit, Frame says, on the basis of our union with Christ. So it's through our union with Jesus and by the work of the word and the Holy Spirit that we grow in our wisdom. Um, Like the knowledge of God, then, wisdom is ethical in character, right? It's not just pragmatic. Um, It's ethical. It's rooted in the law of God. But it's a question of how the law of God ought to be applied. And our progress in wisdom is parallel to our progress in sanctification. Um, and, and, and I like that definition because it gives us this picture that wisdom is something that we grow in, right? That, that we, even as we grow in our sanctification, we become more holy over time. Um, we become more wise over time. We, we learn what it is to embrace um, wisdom and to, and to take it on. Um, and so that's, that's a really um, significant thing here, um, that we uh, want to see wisdom as a, as a category um, that isn't static, but it's something that we grow in. And, and hopefully, I mean, I can certainly look back on my life um, 20 years ago or 10 years ago and say, you know, man, there were some things I did that, was, that were just not wise. Um, I, I didn't anticipate that situation well. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, I made a poor choice. Um, but hopefully I've grown in wisdom and, and 10 years from now I'll look back and, and have, feel similarly probably about my life today. Um, and I, I think this question of doing one thing um, in one situation and, and another in a different or, or the question of wisdom being about the application of the law of God, the principles of the law of God in, in particularly difficult situations um, two quick illustrations of that from the scriptures. One is in 1 Kings, um, when Solomon begins his reign. Do you need to put batteries in here? Yeah. Dying. It feels a little internet to me. All right. Um, so First Kings, um, Solomon, this is just a fascinating um, narrative. 
right? When he first becomes king, um, he says, I'm like a child to the Lord, and what I really need is wisdom. Um, you know, the Lord says, ask me for whatever you want, and he asks for wisdom so he can be a faithful king. And then later in that same chapter, one of the first acts of Solomon as king is the story where these two women come, right? And uh, uh, they both have had a baby, um, but now one of the babies has died, and um, both women are saying it's their baby. Um, that's the living baby and not the dead one, right? Um, so Solomon has this dilemma, um, this, you know, really difficult situation. How, you know, he wasn't there. He didn't see who rolled over onto which baby and um, how do you, you know, determine what is right. And so um, what does he do? What does he propose? Cut the, Cut the baby in half, right? Now, is cutting babies in half consistent with God's law? No, right? It's a violation of the Sixth Commandment, a heinous violation of the Sixth Commandment. And yet that's what Solomon um, determines to do. And in his wisdom, he's able to penetrate to the heart of the matter and anticipate what the women will, how the women will respond to that. And one of the women says, oh, no, don't worry about it. Just give the baby to her, um, the, other, the other woman. And the other woman says, oh, fine, cut it in half. That's great. Good solution. Um, and so Solomon figures out, right, he discerns um, which uh, mother is uh, the true mother. Um, but I think that's just, a, that's always been a fascinating situation to me as we think about what wisdom is, um, um, that it, it, you know, Solomon does a, what appears on the surface to be a really unfaithful thing um, to propose to, to, to murder a baby um, in order to apply wisdom rightly to the situation that he's in. Um, another fascinating um, picture of this is in Proverbs. Um, the book of Proverbs, of course, is a place where we should really dwell. In chapter 26, if we're going to talk about wisdom, um, just a quick example of that. Um, what you'll discover is if you read Proverbs closely, um, that lots of the Proverbs conflict with one another, like they say different things um, about similar situations. Um, which is really interesting. So if you're, if you're going to Proverbs to try to figure out, well, Proverbs is going to tell me what to do in every situation I find myself in. No, that's not true, because Proverbs is trying to make you wise, and, and wisdom means understanding the situation that you're actually in and, and, and making the right choice in that place. So in Proverbs 26, verse 4, um, Solomon says, Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you become like him yourself. That seems reasonable, right? If uh, fools and being foolish, um, you know, um, don't, don't even deal with him. Don't negotiate with him. Don't engage with him um, because you'll just get dragged into his foolishness. And then in the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly. So the same statement, just without the word not, right? Um, so in some ways, at least from a certain perspective, the exact opposite thing is said in the next proverb. Lest he be wise in his own eyes, right? So answer him in his folly because um, he'll stay foolish if you don't, right? You need to re rebuke him. You need to confront his foolishness um, so that he doesn't remain um, uh, foolish. He'll, you know, so he doesn't continue to think he's wise when he's not. And, um, and I think that's a really fascinating example of just the way that wisdom functions in the scriptures. Um, that that there really are different situations that we have to engage with differently um, based on um, not some kind of um, law, but 
on wisdom. Um, and that, that's the context for which um, the committee wants to put this discussion about language. So just, just to, and, and part of the way we know if we're being wise or not is the fruits that come from our attempts at wisdom, right? And James talks about that um, in chapter three. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And this is on your handout. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Um, and there is a kind of meekness to wisdom, um, which is interesting to think about. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Um, and, and that's a really important thing to think about. What, what is the outcome? What is the fruit that's coming um, from the wisdom that I'm seeking to exercise in my life um, as I engage with my neighbor or my family? Um, is it pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, all of these things, full of good fruits? Um, is, that what, is that what the wisdom looks like that I have? All right, so that's just a, a basic con, you know, sort of framework before we jump into the statement. Any thoughts or questions about wisdom before we do that? Yeah, James. I just wanted to point out how much the concept of seeing forward came up. Um, like just what you said when you um, were thinking about how you've grown in wisdom, that you um, were in situations where you didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. Right. He's able to see forward um, to how the women will respond. And um, that was something that I learned um, in studying the book of Proverbs a little bit last year, uh, that, the, that there are many words used for wisdom in Proverbs. Um, one is prudence, and the um, Hebrew word for prudence, I, I think, has that specific connotation, the idea of being able to see forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, you're right. That's that's a huge, huge part of um, wisdom in the scriptures, and certainly in, in in Proverbs is yeah that ability to anticipate the future, right? Um, you know, the problem with the slothful person isn't that um, their life's going to collapse that day, but the problem is is that they continue in that slothfulness, right? Um, it's all going to come to an end at some point, right? That's going to catch up to them, and so wisdom is anticipating those. Things. Wisdom is thinking about the future consequences of my actions, um, whether it's in parenting my children or in the studies that I have or the work that I have, work that seems tedious, right? Um, but I anticipate the future that this is actually good for me um, to do this kind of work or this is, um, you know, going to have a good outcome in my life and so I'm going to stick with it even though it's right now. Um, and so that's, yeah, exactly. Um, thinking about the future is a huge part of what wisdom is and really anticipating it well. And, you know, as we had discussion earlier, thinking about 
what are the consequences of act what are the consequences of me using this person's pronouns that they prefer even though it's you know not true in a in an objective sense um, and and we can think about different factors in that and we and both on the macro level and the micro level um, okay let's um let's look real quickly at the statement in the next few minutes that we have left um, so We've gotten a lot of background here, um, so I'm just going to read through it. We can talk about it. Um, so the committee says, we affirm that those in our churches would be wise to avoid the term gay Christian. So they are saying wisdom, in our judgment, means avoiding this term for yourself if you are um, a member of the church, particularly PCA churches in this context. Um, we think it would be wise for you to avoid the term, quote, gay Christian, or just gay. Um, although the term gay, they say, may refer to more than being attracted to person, persons of the same sex, the term does not communicate less than that. Um, for many people in our culture, to self-identify as gay, quote-unquote gay, suggests that one is engaged in homosexual practice, so not merely that you are attracted to the opposite or the same sex, but that you are actually um, living a lifestyle that's consistent with that attraction in terms of, you know, you're acting on it, you're, you're pursuing uh, men if you're a man, um, and you're, you're, you know, either engaged in sexual activity with men or you desire to be. Um, at the very least, the term normally communicates the presence and approval of same-sex sexual attraction as morally neutral or morally praiseworthy. Um, so that, so they're saying, this is the way that you know this word in our judgment functions now in our culture and because of that we think it's unwise for christians to use that for themselves um, um, particularly in ways that are you know public that are um, uh, you know you're sort of wearing this on your sleeve um, it's, it's not a situation where you can kind of explain what you mean by that in a kind of private conversation um, but even even in that scenario i would I would question the wisdom of it. Even if, quote, gay for some Christians means simply means same-sex attraction, it is still inappropriate to juxtapose this sinful desire or any other sinful desire as an identity marker alongside our identity as new creations in Christ. Um, so I think they're saying a couple things. Um, one is that language matters and that we can't just take words in our culture and infuse them with whatever meaning that we think they have or we want them to have. And in some ways they're saying the word gay has been corrupted in our culture to the extent that it's just unwise for Christians to use it. Um, and this is, I mean, I read a lot of older literature to our children and you know, the word gay shows up a lot and they're not talking about homosexuals, right? Um, and it's really, every time I come across that or the word queer, um, um, which is also used a lot in older literature. I mean, it's just, it's just like heartbreaking. It's like, we just, these words have just become like totally corrupted by our culture. Um, and they're lovely words in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, but, but language changes, language shifts. Um, and in some ways, what the committee is saying is that we believe that, that these words have become overly corrupted by our culture for Christians to use them faithfully in a, applying them to themselves. Um, and more than that, um, they're saying even if by gay, if we could redeem gay to just mean same-sex attraction, it's still um, inappropriate to take that on as a kind of identity marker um, for yourself. Um, 
um, to say that part of my fundamental identity is the sinful inclinations of my heart. Um, and this gets back to some of what we talked about last week in terms of um, the way in which that appears to me at least to be a reductive move in terms of our humanity. Um, nevertheless, they say, and so here's the wisdom thing, we recognize that some Christians may use the term gay in an effort to be more readily understood by non-Christians. So they say, basically, we do understand that there are some Christians who try to use the term or use the term gay as a sort of an apologetic tool um, to identify with um, secular audiences, people who have a similar kind of um, story in some sense um, as they do. Um, and, and they're saying we understand that, that they're not saying we don't, they're not saying we think that's wise. They're saying we, we're taking people at, at face value and they're saying that they want to use the word gay about themselves to better address the secular culture. And they're saying, okay, we get that that may be a motive that people have. The word gay is common in our culture, they say, and we do not think it wise for, there's that word wisdom again, for churches to police every use of the term. And that's an important thing. So what they're saying is, the committee is saying, we don't think that whether you use the term gay or not to describe yourself um, is an appropriate um, venue for church discipline, essentially. Um, that's what they mean by the word police there. Um, we don't think it is necessarily wise, again, that word wisdom, for a session to say to a member, um, you keep using the word gay in reference to yourself. If you don't stop doing that, we're going to um, discipline you. We're going to suspend you from the sacraments. We're going to, you know, all of the things that can take place in church discipline. And this is a, you know, um, fascinating thing too, um, you know, much of the work that sessions do in church discipline, I mean, sometimes they're very clear, obvious, like, okay, this is definitely something we have to act in. Um, but there are lots of times when church discipline takes place where wisdom is really required, and it's, it's, it's complicated, it's messy. You know, do you, um, obviously you don't um, bring about discipline in, in, in people's lives for every sin that they commit, right? That would be absurd. Um, and so, you, so church discipline always requires the use of wisdom in terms of when um, elders and pastors get involved and really confront someone in their sin. And what they're saying is we don't think it would be wise for sessions to do that in this scenario. Our burden is that we do not want to justify our sin struggles by affixing them to our identity as Christians. Churches should be gentle, patient, and intentional with believers who call themselves gay Christians encouraging them as part of the process of sanctification to leave behind identification language rooted in sinful desires, to live chaste lives, to refrain from entering into temptation, and to mortify their sinful desires. Um, so essentially what they're saying is for Christians in our churches um, who want to use this kind of language for themselves, the committee is saying clearly we don't think that is wise to do. Um, however, they're saying we think the wise pastoral response by those in authority in churches is not to formally discipline people in those scenarios, but rather to walk alongside them, to encourage them, to exhort them, to, to talk with them, to, to say this is why we don't think it's wise to use this term, um, to, and to do so patiently, how do they say, gently, patiently, and intentionally um, with people in that scenario. Um, and, and, and so that, that's what the so they're really trying to thread a, a, a precise needle here, right? Um, you can see that. Um, David Coffin, who's a PCA pastor whose work 
um, on teaching through this um, sexuality report I've used and have been grateful for. He comments, our committee calls for a wonderful moderation here. It looks to the good of both those who see the term gay as a threat and those who see it as a help to reach others. These are deep waters. We should be patient with one another. Critically, the committee has helped to reinforce for us the distinction between what is necessary because God has commanded it in his word and what is wise. That is the judgment of a particular person applying unchangeable principles of the word to differing circumstances. Um, and that I think is a helpful kind of language for all that we're talking about in terms of wisdom here as well. All right, we've got a minute or two before we need to wrap up. Any thoughts about that statement or, yes? Yeah, sure. You're right. How could we have prevented that? I don't know, Kim. That's a great question. I mean, I think I think it is a fascinating thing um, that you know, language is always changing, and it seems as though that's part of the way that God designed human beings to function. You know, it's part of our creative and authoritative power, you know, the power that Adam has to name the animals. Um, and so anyone who studies language acknowledges really quickly that no language stays static. Uh, they're always in flux. Um, and because of our um, sinful nature, um, you know, language gets corrupted too. Um, it's not used solely in ways that are edifying or good. Um, you know, Paul says, and it's important, I mean, and this is, there, um, you know, for example, the word sodomite um, used to be a term that was used um, for a homosexual, right, instead of the word gay. Um, and of course, that word has a biblical root. It's rooted in the understanding that one of the sins of Sodom, um, which appears to be the case from um, was it Genesis 19, I think, um, is homosexual behavior um, and even um, violent homosexual behavior um, that's threatened um, in that story um, against the angels who come to deliver Lot from Sodom. Um, and God judges Sodom um, for its sin um, generally, but in, in some ways perhaps um, I think we can say for the hen of sin of, of homosexual behavior. And so that word sodomite came into the English language to describe a person who is um, actively homosexual. Um, and it's important to say that word sodomite preceded the word homosexual. Like as we think about the way we talked about language of, you know, that word sodomite described when it first came to the English language, not so much someone who's gay that we would call today, but someone who, who engaged in homosexual acts. Um, Acts, sexual acts with the same sex. Does that make sense? Particularly men, of course. Um, so, because earlier in the English language, there wasn't really a concept or a word of someone who's just oriented this way, but doesn't necessarily act in this way. And, and there was also just, an, you know, like, well, the, the problem in that sodomite was trying to describe was a person who engages in sodomy, um, which is a particular sexual act between men. Um, and so I, I think the root of that word matters, right? It was, 
it wasn't a bad thing that it was rooted in the scriptures and it, and it had an implicit kind of condemnation to it in terms of the sex act, right? Um, and so I think it's, it's really unfortunate that that word has now been um, seen as hateful in our culture today and it's replaced with words like gay or queer or whatever um, that are at the very least morally neutral words. Um, you can, and you could argue for gay, it's a, it's a happy word, <laughs> it's a positive, it's a morally positive word. Um, but now it's been um, drawn into, you know, um, you know, when people talk about, um, you know, going to a gay bar, right? They're not just talking about like, I wanna go to a place where the other, other men who are also same-sex attracted, right? They're talking about very specific, heinous um, kinds of behavior that takes place. And, and so that, that word has been corrupted in that way. And I think that's a real, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, but what can we do about it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. 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 Sure. Yes, I get it, and I I'm with you, and I think we want to be, in terms of the way that we use language, we want to be consistent. We want to be wise. We don't want to call evil good or good evil, um, and I think that's really important. Um, but it, in terms of the way the language functions in the broader culture, I mean, I. It's, it's hard to affect those things fundamentally. Um, although, I mean, it, it is interesting, you know, um, there was a time when the church set the parameters for these things, right? The most important book ever written in the English language is the King James um, Bible, right? Um, in terms of the, the way that it functioned to determine what language meant, what the English language meant in, a, in the modern context. And, you know, may it be so again, um, may we steward our words carefully and, and have that kind of influence. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I'll just say one way I push back on it, it's a tiny little thing, but sometimes when I run across the words gay and queer in my reading to the kids, I translate them, right, <laughs> into more modern. But sometimes I don't. I just say, you know what, I, we're just going to call this, it's a queer thing that happened, you know, and I'm just going to use it in its original meaning and it's going to be fine, you know, and just kind of push back against that. And, and I think I think we can do that. Yes. Um, One last comment. Yeah. It, I mean, I think, as we've been saying, we all need to be wise and we need to be thinking about, like, you know, there's consistency between 
think that um, people who tend to be um, open to the term gay Christian um, often have a different position on concupiscence. Right. Um, they think that the um, the desires, the attractions, are more new. Right. Yes. Um, so I I just think that that's like helpful to know to see like the consistency of the report and what it's doing. Right. Um, but also to kind of have a an understanding of Christians who don't take as hard of a line on this specific term, like mm-hmm. that to understand that that is probably where they are coming from. Right. Yeah, that's right. James is pointing out that typically folks that are comfortable with using the word gay Christian to describe themselves, especially in public ways, are ones who do not share reform convictions um, that are articulated in this report about concupiscence or the, the um, sinful nature of, of homosexual attractions in and of themselves. And yet that's right. And, and if you go into, if you go down this rabbit hole on the internet, right, about all the debates that have taken place in the last 10 to 15 years, side A, side B, et cetera, et cetera, um, all the different figures, um, there's a lot of nuance. Um, there's a lot of, and so that's right. And, and part of this is understanding people where they're coming from, what their assumptions are. And I think what the committee does here helpfully is that it does speak directly to this issue, which I'm grateful for, and I agree with their, their pastoral counsel, but it gives freedom for churches and sessions to engage um, in this issue in a way that's pastoral rather than judicial, I guess, which I'm grateful for, I think is wise. All right, let's, um, let's stand and pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful for the way that you um, promised to grant us wisdom, and we pray for that, Lord. Um, we pray that you would give us wisdom. Um, pray for the individuals in this room. I pray for our church as a whole. Pray for um, the PCA. Um, pray for the faithful church um, around the world. Lord, we pray that you would grant us wisdom um, as we engage with all of these things, um, all these questions that we could hardly have anticipated um, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, Lord, we know that none of it is beyond your um, sovereign knowledge or will, and that you promise um, to give us wisdom um, when we find ourselves in in places that are um, overwhelming or difficult or challenging. We pray that by your spirit you be faithful to do that. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.